Thank you for following us and supporting the show. I want to make you aware we now have different membership levels, and I want to personally thank every one of you for your financial support. I know that this is from your hard labor and your kind heart, and it is with a humble heart that I do thank you for all that you do and for your support in every way. Thank you so much. Welcome to another episode of Threads of Enlightenment. And I love this part because I know my visitors are coming, my guests are coming with powerful stuff. And I really, truly like to take the time to thank them for this because I recognize the power that it is and the sacrifice that it is. And that is first their time. And Troy, I want to thank you for that beautiful commodity, man. That's some expensive stuff and some people misuse it, don't know how to spend it right, if you will. And the other is your journey. The journey is that um, place that you were that gave birth to you, to who you are today. That is some precious stuff. It houses all kinds of pain, uh, wisdom, strength, defeat, all of it. But it was once you, and it has created you. And I want to thank you for coming to share it with us. Welcome, Troy, the Threads of Enlightenment, man. Pleasure. Thanks for having me, Ken. It really is an honor. And... Um... Yeah, I just look forward to chatting and talking, and um, I'm really excited about this conversation and sharing with you all. Excellent. Tell the people the things that you have created. I always tell them we, we are pregnant. People are pregnant, Troy, and yeah. sometimes it takes uh, a situation to cause us to give birth to those children. Some people die and they abort the, the, the baby and don't even know they were pregnant. But those that have given birth, talk to us and tell us what you have given birth so far. Yeah, you know, um, when I hear that question, Ken, one thing I want to note first off is that if people around me who have nurtured me, they've given birth to everything I am. Yes. So when I answer that question about what I have created, um, mm -hmm. I want to expand that understanding of I. Because it may have come through me. Yes. Um, but I really give it to the people around me yeah. that have created who I am to allow me to create really amazing, beautiful things. And I know it's only now beginning. Mm -hmm. um, but to answer your question, not to go back too far, but when I graduated university, I um, came home and opened Trinidad's first hemp shop all natural mm -hmm. clothing and merchandise made yeah. from cannabis. And um, I always emphasize this with a hemp shop, not a head shop. <laughs> you know, due, yeah. due to um, <laughs> a lot of misconceptions and stereotypes, I am not a smoker of cannabis. Yeah. I am an advocate for it, not a smoker yeah. of it. So I ran Trinidad's first hemp store for about seven years. Mm -hmm. um, then I started teaching yoga, something I knew I would end up doing long before. Mm -hmm. And um, I then closed my hemp shop because I realized that it wasn't really having the impact I wanted to have. Yeah. And um, I didn't really just want to run a retail store. So what then happened is I founded a waste cooking oil recycling business. Mm -hmm. um, that collected waste cooking oil from restaurants all over the country, recycled it to um, export as biofuel, and everyone thought I was a complete maniac. Now, <laughs> Trinidad is a third world country, 
Yeah. And um, as you can imagine, because you've come from Guyana, Kent, so yeah. as you can imagine, there are no real rules and regulations. There's no environmental laws that people follow. So all yeah. of this waste <laughs> cooking oil was being poured down the drain. Yeah. And um, everyone, I put every cent I had into this business and I converted mm-hmm. my, my truck to run on waste cooking oil. And everybody thought I was a lunatic. Yeah. Um, and five, six years later, I sold that recycling business, which mm. allowed me to build a house in the forest where I now live and allowed me to dedicate all of my energy towards nurturing a yoga studio and community, which yeah. um, is really beautiful, which I ran and developed with the help of everyone else for about six, seven years. And I, I am, we are still running today, but we have no physical studio today. We're just online. Yeah. Also, I just finished writing um, my first book, which I've spent three years writing and rewriting and rewriting. And questioning Congratulations. My, yeah, thank you. And questioning my own perspectives and getting clarity yeah. on my own views of the world and what it is I'm really trying to say. And um, where it all came from. So that book is now looking for a literary agent and a publishing deal. And Mm -hmm. um, I'm really just looking forward. I've started doing a lot of public speaking, especially in a corporate environment. And I'm really looking forward now to expanding my reach and trying to just reach and influence as much people as I can all over the world, which is why I'm so grateful for yourself and Threads of Enlightenment. Oh, thank you so much, man. I I, yeah. I had this conversation with a gentleman today that life, as as I get older, the thing that turns me on is much different from when I was uh, younger. What turns me on is the fact that I want to be able to um, uh, create influence around the world, influence yeah. that is effective in um, my society and uh, the people in the world around me so that we can do something um, beautiful. And the power of influence, I tell people, it is one of the most powerful tool within a relationship with a man and a woman. A woman, Troy, can touch a man um, on his shoulders and influence him in a second. And most women don't even know that they have that capability with in them, they will yeah. start fighting, yelling, shouting, screaming when all they needed to do is learn how to use that most powerful tool that they have residing within them and uh, they have no knowledge of it. But here you are, you know the, what we do here, Troy. We go back into the beginning. I want to talk to you. I love your intro because it is absolutely an insightful one about. It was just not you, it was all the others that have deposited within you that, uh, and through you, you were able to create, I like it, I like it, I like it. So here we go, Troy, I want to go back into your childhood, because I believe usually this is where we began to form our, um, the perception that we have about the world and how we we create and and mingle with people. How was your childhood like um, growing up? And little old Trini, man. Man, you know what, Ken? It's like I sometimes I ask my mom. My mom's my parents are still alive, fortunately. They're in their eighties. And mm-hmm. um I always ask my mom because I'm like, Mom, 
what was I like as a child? <laughs> and I never really get a firm answer, but I have certain glimmers, right? Yeah. And memories of my childhood. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm straight up, Ken, in that I come from a certain aspect of privilege. Mm-hmm. And I know when we talk about privilege, we, we often talk about the labels of privilege, meaning yeah. that whether it be skin color or financial background or yeah, petrol, yeah. someone's gender or whatever it is. And all of that, I know, um, is very viable. But what I'm really referring to is a privilege that we often overlook, and it's the most powerful privilege of all. Mm-hmm. And that is the privilege of knowing what it is to be loved. Yeah, yeah. And um, so yes. I come from a childhood and a background in which I've never seen my parents fight. Wow. They've been married for 50-something years. Um, my, I was seven years the youngest of two brothers, so I was mm-hmm. almost like an only child. And um, my pers- my family is very conventional. Yeah. Um, and I am very much out of the box in a mm-hmm. lot of ways. And um, never, even when they thought I was an absolute lunatic and I was mm-hmm. crazy <laughs> and they couldn't understand my choices and decisions, um, never did I lack love and support. Yeah. Never did I lack community. I was always held you know, and um, so I always knew what love was. Yeah. And then, um, but at the same time growing up, and I now have come to really unravel this in writing in my book and questioning my own upbringing, mm-hmm. is I realized that I was ashamed of my privilege because I do also come from a very financially comfortable background. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And upbringing. And I was ashamed of my privilege. Because mm. the Middle Eastern name and culture in Trinidad um, carries a stereotype of comfort and wealth and business yeah. and success and so on. And I remember from a young age, I was ashamed of that. Wow. I wouldn't tell people my name. I didn't want mm. anyone to know my last name. I didn't want them to know what neighborhood I grew up in because I didn't want them to see me as separate or yes. as different or as stush. Yeah. Or mm-hmm. entitled, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, there's a chapter in my book called Owning Privilege. And in writing that, I began to understand that Rastafari and reggae mm-hmm. influence had mm-hmm. way more of an impact on me as a child than I could mm-hmm. ever imagine. Wow. Because, um, you know, I grew up, I, it's always been a huge part of my life and still is today. You know, right now I'm bald-headed and shaved. Yeah. I used to have long hair. And, <laughs> um, but what it did for me, I'll tell you, is that from from a young age, I had an obsession like a lot of us do with, with Robert Nesta Marley, Bob Marley. And mm-hmm. that obsession grew into Rastafari. But mm-hmm. it was never about smoking a herb for me. Yeah, It was never on the surface. It was the depth of it. And reggae music and Rastafarian culture exposed me to a reality outside of my privilege. Yeah. A reality that existed that I wouldn't have been exposed to otherwise, right? Yeah. And um, I think what began to happen is I began to, through also I grew up in a Catholic home. 
and mm-hmm. have also been close to the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of Christ yeah. beyond organized religion. Yes. Outside the box of organized religion. I remember um, I did um, confirmation and I walked out of the yeah. confirmation <laughs> class because I told the teachers, like, you're missing a point. I yeah. must have been like, whatever, 10, 12. I was like, you're missing a point. Jesus would have never taught this. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, so, so I think what happened was rather than being enveloped in the shame and guilt of my privilege, mm-hmm. I decided unknowingly to own it. Yeah. To acknowledge the responsibility that came with it. Yeah. Yeah. And realize that I had to make a difference in the world. No matter yeah. what I did, mm-hmm. it had to make an impact and make a difference in the world. I mean, at 10 years old, I wrote my first letter to the editor and it was sent to all our national <laughs> newspapers. Yeah. And then I sent, my, with the help of my mom, a, a copy was sent to President Bush, mm-hmm. Saddam Hussein, Mikhail yeah. Gorbachev. And <laughs> I often question, what, at 10 years old, what drove me to do that? Yeah. And now in trying to excavate my childhood, yeah. I realized that it was that responsibility that came with acknowledging my privilege. Yeah. And through that, everything I've done my entire life, I have to know that I am contributing to something bigger than myself, that yeah. I am in service to something larger. Yeah. And um, it's the key, man. You know, yeah. It that's is the key. key. It's, yeah. it's one of the most powerful revelation that an individual on this planet can have because what it does, it causes you, and I tell them, Troy, it causes you to create and to have statement of fate that are big, that are, um, that are beyond your ability to get it done until you incorporate something that people talk about but really don't understand it. It's the power of your belief system, your faith, will drive you to get this thing done and to make it. You talk about the hemp piece and all that stuff, the visionary part of you. Pull something like that. And then you talked about the oil. And so that statement that we make, that internal language that we speak to ourselves, that thing, when we, when we release those words, I tell people, you have to be honorable to yourself. That's where you become. How you become an honorable man? Be honorable to yourself. And then you'll come, you'll, you'll become accustomed to what honor looks like. And so you will always be walking in that uh, power of an honorable person because you're honorable to yourself. Here you are, yeah. Troy, you're, you're 10 years old and trying to shake the world leaders already at 10 years old. Um, as, and you mentioned in the onset about the love that you felt and knew that you had. That is a powerful gift that your parents gave you because it gave you that foundation by which a lot of people don't have that foundation and that security that they are able to then now build upon. Uh, many of them uh, are not aware of it, and there's trauma from that insecurity aspect. But I'm I'm glad you mentioned that because that is an important piece of your human development that I know 
makes you think differently. As you said, you think out of the box. You're able to question um, uh, the things. And I grew up just like you. I know I I walked out of churches all the time because I told them, Jesus, don't even think like that. So when you said that, I started laughing. But here you are, a 10 years old man. You are reaching out and wanting to become an influence even to world leaders. How did you begin to, as that at that young age, how did you begin to deal with those that were in your space, your friends, and those type of people around you? I know you reached out to the world leaders, but how did you deal with those folks that were closer to you in your space? You know, I, I don't know if I could put my finger on anything specifically in that sense, Ken, but mm-hmm. I'll tell you something. For, you know, I don't know, I mean, Guyana, I don't know if it's similar to Trinidad for your listeners as well. The culture in Trinidad is one that very much revolves around alcohol as mm-hmm. the pillar of social foundation, right? Wow. Alcohol is mm-hmm. a pillar. Yeah. Um, anything done socially in Trinidad involves alcohol and... um it is very much, it is infused within the culture. Now, I, my first sip of wine was at 27 years old. Up mm. to this day, I have no idea what it is to be intoxicated wow. via alcohol. And I never, I've never drank. And I can explain to you later on why I decided at 27 to start drinking wine. Yeah. Now, um, I reference this because it's important. Because people often ask, man, how did you grow up your entire life in Trinidad? Mm -hmm. Not like it was a religious obligation. I simply chose not to drink alcohol. So growing up for me among my friends, Ken, was, um, it was a little difficult at times because, I mean, my friends were drinking alcohol and smoking and stuff from 13, 14 years old. Yeah. And, uh, I never have. And so I always, I guess, in some aspect, felt a little outside the box um, mm-hmm. a little bit. But even even my friends, can they, um, they always supported me. They always respected my choices. Yeah. Yeah. There was never peer pressure. Yeah. And um, I even remember as a kid, my, my friends used to call me high priest for fun. Now, it was a joke, but to me, yeah. it was like, yo, that's, that's a term of respect. That's their way yeah, of, yeah. of joking in a respectful form, you know? Yeah. And um, it, was, it had its challenges growing up outside yeah. of the box and thinking a little bit differently to everyone else and my friends and even making different choices. It did absolutely have its challenges. Um, you know, one of the things... Yeah, you know, one of the things that I noticed, Troy, because I I came to the United States when I was about uh, 12 years old, and one of the things that I noticed uh, from the onset as far as um, peer pressure, it wasn't so much so out in the Caribbean where I grew up and and in Guyana. I I didn't feel it that much. But when I came to the United States, there was this thing that they labeled – Peer pressure that is very prominent within that society, um, but in uh, you mentioned a little about it on, on, on you know in the, that part of the world what they call third world. Um, yeah, it, um, 
we never had that type of stuff, even though I was growing up different than my friends and certain things like yourself. It yeah. wasn't, we call each other names, but it wasn't like a bad thing. It was like something that we, we were always joking around, but it wasn't facetious. It wasn't something to break the person's will like we see yeah. in the other culture. And so I get, and I understand that aspect of, of uh, what they were calling you and so forth. So here you are, yeah. you've been in a little difference. And we talked a little about um, the phrase that I believe that man use or society use to control the masses. And that is to say that you have to be normal. So here you mm -hmm. are, you've been outside of normal pretty much most of your life. And so yeah. you're hanging out there and, and being out there is a little different because there's not that many people out there, Troy, you know, yeah. it's just a few of them. And so uh, yeah. as you began to grow up as a young man, um, getting into your 20s and so forth, uh, how were you looking into the world? And I know the Rastafarian uh, teachings is much more, it's a spiritual teaching um, uh, with many other aspects of it. And it helps open you up to many different uh, uh precepts and perception other than just living around and growing your hair. Um, yeah. They, they talk to you and you have to, you know, there's, there's some really interesting conversations that I've had. So you, here you are. I know you have that little awakening there because of uh, the, the, the Ross. How was that awakening and your lifestyle and the fact that you're out here on, on uh, and, you know, uh, outside of normal? How were you functioning in, as your perception begins to mold more and your influence? How did you hold on to keeping that and how did it, did it keep you focused or did you just put it aside about, uh, as you did 10 years old? Yeah. Um, you know, Ken, if I'm getting your question um, right, it's like what I want to reference is that everything is conditioning. Yeah. You know, and sometimes, sometimes what I refer to is that, you know, the influence of reggae culture and Rasparian culture exposed mm -hmm. me to a lot that was outside of my bubble yeah. and opened me up to realizing certain things and questioning yeah. what was normal in my household and my community. Yeah. But even that culture had its own conditioning. Yep. <laughs> that that as I as I grew up, I had to question that as well, even yeah. more, right? Yeah. So it's like everything serves its purpose, mm -hmm. but we have to keep asking ourselves. There's there's a difference, like I say, between believing what you're told mm -hmm. and knowing what what your truth is, what you yes. actually know to be true, mm -hmm. and. As I grew up, you know, and I went away, I went to school in the University of Tampa, and I was now began to expo be exposed to a whole different culture and a whole different yeah. community. I began to realize that even a lot of not just what Caribbean culture and what my culture at home and community was telling me, but a lot of the conditioning of reggae culture and Rastafarian culture was also, I also was in aligned with. Yeah. You know, and one of those stories I tell is um, 
as, as you would know, in the Caribbean, especially 10, 15 years ago, the concept mm. of um, same-sex relationships, yeah. was that was not accepted yep. in any way. Any right? Form. And even within reggae culture, that was all yeah. the church. That was not accepted at all. That was... Yeah. I don't even want to say words, but that was not yeah. cool, right? And um, mm -hmm. I had this whole conditioning around that. Yeah. But it was only um, when I actually went away to school and I was exposed to something different. Mm -hmm. I remember a conversation. It was a friend from Bahamas and we were having, and she knew what I stood for and what my beliefs were. And yeah. um, she asked me straight up, and I talk about, tell your story in my book. She said, well, what are your views on homosexuality? Mm -hmm. And um, I pretty much said that I didn't think it was wrong, but I didn't mm -hmm. think it was right. And, yeah. and um, she asked the question, well, do you believe you fall in love with a person or you fall in love with a gender? Mm -hmm. And she knew, for me, I was all about love. So that, mm -hmm. that, that was holding it up in my face. And that, and of course, the actually getting to know and understand people mm -hmm. who, who identified with being homosexual or whatever you want yeah. to call it, or gay, and, um, that brought me to understand and realize that my conditioning around that yeah. was absolutely nonsense, that I didn't believe that. Mm -hmm. That was just what I was told. And I never questioned it. Up yeah. until that point, really. Yeah. yeah. But it's really important that we look at our own conditioning. Yes. And we question it to really identify, well, what do I believe? Not what mm -hmm. was I told. Yeah. But what do I believe? And at the same time, leave space in our identity with an opinion or a belief to grow and change that opinion and belief. Yes. Conditioning you know? response, I call it conditioned response, meaning that we are yeah. so programmed that, um, and I usually give the example of a cop, uh, we're driving in a cop car, I mean, in our car, and a cop pulls up behind us, we're obeying the rules, we're obeying all the stuff. But because we have been programmed that when we see this light, a lot of people panic and they have that conditioned response where they, their feet are hitting the brake. They began to look around in their car. I mean, all kinds of crazy stuff happening because, and you're sitting there and you're doing everything. Your license is okay. Your insurance is fine, but you're still behaving this way. And it's simply because you have been conditioned response. And so I have been learning Troy, how to, and one of the things that I find myself praying about is that I would respond from the space of love before I respond from a space of intellect or emotion. And because I want to, and I understand that it is love, that is that foundation that will guide my intellect and will guide my emotions. And so I want to have that force, that power, guide my response to someone so that they yeah. can, uh, as the, it says, that my words would be seasoned uh, yeah. so that they would be able to, I can build them up instead of to destroy. But I, 
the the place that I want to respond from Troy is governed by love first. So that when I, yeah. I don't yell and scream, I don't cuss at anyone, I am looking at them from that plane and then I'm able yeah. to to answer. But I love your uh, how you're talking about this because it is important that we began to question things becoming and then we talk about it on the onset as we become investigators of all the systems because most of the systems have been put in there by men. And so yeah. we have to question everything. And as we question everything, we become wiser. There's a, uh, I grew up also around the church and stuff like that. There's a scripture that I love. It says, come, let's reason together. I love that thing because <laughs> it allows me, gives me permission to come with my questions it gave me permission to come and talk and have a conversation with the Almighty. And I don't have to be worried or offended by how crazy my, my questions would be. Because he gave me the invitation, Troy. I didn't. He gave me the invitation. So I'm coming with my craziness. And I love that, that I'm able to do that. And so um, here you are. You're moving through, man. And uh, you're seeing the importance of the questions and pulling insight to, I tell people, most people live by out of facts, but they don't understand that there's a truth and then there's facts and facts will always change. But the truth yeah. is sitting right there waiting for you to discover it. And so yeah. here you are, you recognize that you, there is the difference between the two and how you get to the truth is by asking, by peeling in a way. When you realize that question and when you had to answer it, um, what did it do, Troy, to your mind, to your inner being, to your perception about that question that was posed to you about loving? How do you love? And what was it? What did it do to you, man? Well, you know, that, that question about loving um can it's like you know i came to the pra i i have to reference yoga to this because mm -hmm. um um yoga and this place i call um i'm now lucky enough privileged enough to call home is on the north coast of trinidad in the forest nestled mm -hmm. in the forest and I am the only one that lives on that mountain now for about eight years on that mountainside. Yeah. Um, and I tell people all the time that um, there's a difference, like, like I referenced before, between being told of God mm -hmm. and knowing God. Yes. And um, I remember the very first night I slept. I lived in a tree house for six years. And the very first mm -hmm. night I slept in that tree house. Now, to put this in perspective, I'm a city boy. I'm not a bush mm -hmm. boy. I just live in bush, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so my first night sleeping in that treehouse alone was quite an experience. Yeah. And for the most half, for the first half of it, I felt very threatened and I wanted to jump in my car and run back in town and sleep in my apartment. And... Um, it, it dawned on me that there was a moment where I connected to my breath and it dawned on me that the only reason I felt threatened was because I saw myself as separate. Yeah. 
And I looked around me and I looked at the stars and the moonlight and leaves and these giant massive trees and all these sounds around me and nature. Yeah. And I realized that I'm not separate. Yeah. That I'm, I'm all a part of it, that this is God. Yeah. And I, I cite that as one of the moments in my life where I actually felt that I was, this yeah. was God. I was part of it all. Yeah. And, yeah. um, so I want to reference that story, but I have to talk about yoga because, you know, I came to yoga when I graduated university. People would ask me, well, what are you going to do with your life? And I'd say, well, I'm going to teach yoga. They'd be like, well, do you do yoga? I was like, nope. <laughs> because at that point, I didn't. But I just knew I was yeah. going to teach yoga. And that's a different story, that influence. But um, I want to try and stay on track here. And the reason I reference yoga is because I tell people all the time, Ken, that if I did not believe that the practice of yoga increased our capacity to love one another mm -hmm. and connected each individual to their understanding of God, mm -hmm. I would walk away from it. Yeah. I have no interest in teaching a physical exercise or physical yeah. practice or Zumo or Pilates. No disrespect to any of those yeah. practices. Yeah. Yoga for me is so much more. Yeah. And um, I wanted to reference this because I wanted also to reference what you just spoke about, mm -hmm. which is what happens in the mind. Yeah. And um, to me, the, the choice to live governed by love yeah. In order to do that, we must have a relationship with our mind. Yes. Because every, you know, the two first teachings of yoga I always talk about is the first teaching says that yoga is now. Mm -hmm. And the second teaching said that yoga is the quieting of the fluctuations of the mind. Mm -hmm. You see, mind is egocentric. Yeah. And the mind's constant state is to create it is to fluctuate mm -hmm. but the second in mind fluctuates it creates separation yeah the thoughts what happens in the mind is what tells me that Ken is different from Troy yeah it's what tells me that I am not part of this couch mm -hmm. and and the thoughts that occur in the mind is what creates this separation and this otherness yeah but if we can create this relationship with our mind, then when something happens or when we meet someone or we see someone or we're in an experience, mm -hmm. in that moment, we see God. We see yeah. everything as an as aspect of ourselves. Yeah. But like when you said you choose to live from love rather than from intellect, mm -hmm. it's when that mind starts to create that that separation and that yeah. our mind starts to project upon an experience that we see separation. Yeah. Yeah. But if we can be in relationship with the mind and this is what the practice of yoga helps us mm -hmm. do, right? Like meditation or yoga, yeah. it creates a relationship with the mind so that in any experience and moment, we can be in that moment, in that now. And as long yeah. as we're in that now, there's nothing else to be seen but God. Yeah. And if you were in conversation with God, if you were in relationship with God in every moment, what would you do? What yeah. would you say? How yeah. would you act? 
So for me, when somebody asks me, well, what does it mean to embody love? Right now, mm-hmm. today, I would have to say that to embody God and to embody love is to see God in every human being, yeah. in all of creation, and then to act according yeah. so that God can be in awe of his own magnificence. Yeah. I tell people, what you're talking about is how we solve world, world, world peace right there. It's how we react to each other. I had a, while I was walking, Troy, I was learning some things when I was going through my journey. And one of the things that I learned was that I got a glimpse of was the uniqueness of how unique and how beautiful I was as an individual. And then um, I learned about the collective and the unity that is all of us. But when I started to get that view as to how precious I was, how unique I was, how I say to people, endangered I was because I'm one of a kind, I'm an endangered species. When I got that revelation, I I had to then look at you standing in front of me. It's just like me. You are an endangered species as well. So because I have that knowledge, I must respond to you as if you are one of that. So I can't lash out at you, man. I can't do all of those crazy things that I would want to do because of, you said, the, the, the ego of, of, that you're uh, dealing with. But if I look at you as an endangered species, our conversation is going to be much deeper and richer because you as an endangered species also have some stuff that I need and I have some stuff and we could have this great exchange all life while we're here on this earth. And I love your insights as you as you get. And I tell people, uh, mine is meditation and yoga uh, um, is, I tell them, everyone, yoga and, and meditation, these are some of the tools that will teach you to go inwards. And we saw, and I always, I came out of church, I always see that Jesus Christ left all them people and he went by himself. And I know that culture talked about meditation. So I know he wasn't there just standing, you know, chewing on a piece of uh, uh, a tree or, you know, a little thing sitting around. This man was meditating because they talk about it in their culture. So he was here meditating. And I tell them, look what happened when he came out of his meditation. He was walking on water. He was doing all kinds of stuff. And so all of that resides within you and I, that in our space of meditation, is where we get our power, is where we get our insight, is where we have uh, we tap into God, it's where we get into the source of it all. Because if we're outside of that, Troy, we're too busy. And so when you yeah. are in that space of the quietness of the mind and all of that, that's when you get into power. That's when you begin to learn more about you and, and all of the surroundings, the nature, how we're actually one, we're connected. Um, and I, when I got into my meditation, my senses became much more alert. I could hear miles away. I would tell my, you know, I would hear things because you put yourself in that space. And it is one of the most powerful t- tools out there. So I wish people would get it. And the wisdom that you talked about 
uh, about the mind is intense. And if they understand that, that will usher in peace within themselves, peace within their relationships, and as we expand out into the world. Talk to us uh, about, about this, uh, because I know it is a masterpiece in your life, this meditation and the, the yoga piece. And you yeah. saw that that was your mission when you were younger, that you would be a teacher and you saw the value of it, not just as a physical form. Yeah. As you began try to uh, sit, how did it begin to truly affect your life and your perception of it, the breath of it, the understanding of it? Talk to us about your space, man, when you're there and yeah. you're uh, in that space. Yeah, um, sure. I'll tell you a quick story if I, I jump into that, Ken, because I think yeah. it's relevant. And you said that you mentioned that I knew, right? I knew I was going to teach yoga. Yeah. And um, people often ask, well, how did you know you were going to teach yoga? It's like, man, I don't know. But the last thing, I, like, I could only put my finger on one thing. And mm. when I was 14 years old, I, um, I remember I was in a, a school called Fatima College. It's like a boys' college. Mm. And, um, I used to go up every lunchtime and sit with a teacher called Mr. Gayadine, who now teaches in Toronto. Mm. And um, I used to go up on my own free will every lunchtime and sit down, and he would give me these books to read. Mm-hmm. And I always used to tell people, you know, I, that was the first time I remember reading a book about yoga. Yeah. And for some reason, I went up every lunchtime of my own free will, and kids used to make fun of me. My friends used to make fun of me. And I always said that one day I hope I could find Mr. Gayadine again and see him and tell him how he could have possibly influenced my life. Yeah. And two years ago, I get this message. So I've been saying this for about 15 years, right? That one day yeah. I want to see Mr. Gayadine again. And about a year or two ago, I get a message in my inbox, in my email from my website, a comment mm-hmm. that says, I think I gave you practice of Brahmacharya to read in 1994. Mm-hmm. S. Gayadin. I was like, what? <laughs> so, so um, of course, I'm excited. I respond to him and I get his number. And we, Long story short, we end up on the phone and he says to me, well, Troy, first off, you came to detention. Mm-hmm. That's how you got there <laughs> first time. You were sent to detention. And I, I came up and he said he gave me the practice of Brahmacharya to read as a joke because this is an ancient text about sexual yeah. misconduct. And mm-hmm. he gave it to a 14-year-old boy to read. <laughs> so he was like, I don't even do yoga. I gave you that as a joke. And he said, you sat down and you read this text that most adults couldn't even read. And he said, and then you came to detention every lunchtime of your own free will to read Mm. more and read more and read more. So clearly it grabbed me. But what's really amazing about this story is that he says to me, he says, Troy, I've been talking about you for the last 15 years for the last 25 years, since I was 14 years old. He Um, said, I've been talking about you as a 14-year-old boy who awed me with his commitment and devotion to read this text and go outside the box. mm -hmm. And I have been talking about him 
Yeah. For the last 15 years. But we yeah. had no communication whatsoever. He had yeah. no idea I was teaching yoga. Yeah. How he found me was that he went to class in Toronto, Canada, teaching his class. And he told this story about Troy Hadid as a 14-year-old kid. Yeah. And of course, they Googled my name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they pulled up my website. And they said, do you know he's been an international yoga teacher for the last 15 years. And Mr. Guiding said, what? <laughs> and and um, so that's how he found me. And that's how we came together. And that synchronicity yeah. is just absolutely amazing. And that synchronicity is everywhere in our lives. Everywhere. We just don't always see it. Yeah. Everywhere, now, all the time. All the time. Yeah. Now, to answer your question about my practice, Ken, mm-hmm. when I step into that space, there, there's two things that changed my relationship to my yoga practice very mm-hmm. early on. Yeah. And one of them was learning the anatomy of breath, mm-hmm. learning how breath actually worked. And I learned that at 27 years old, and most people yeah. live their entire lives, and they still have no clue. Yeah. But understanding how breath actually works in your body is phenomenal. It's life-changing. Mm-hmm. So when I began to understand that, and I began to breathe really slowly in my yoga practice, my yoga practice mm-hmm. became very intimate, yeah. very intentional, almost like prayer, right? Yes. Or it was prayer. Yeah. And then the second realization that completely changed my yoga practice and my life in a lot of ways, or I would say excel the direction in which I was moving, was learning that the word spirit, like Holy Spirit, actually Mm -hmm. comes from the word spiritus. Mm -hmm. And it's a Latin word that means to breathe. Mm -hmm. So I now began to connect the dots. Well, hold on. Breath is the one thing that connects every living being on the planet. Yeah. It connects us to everything around us. It's like a plasma that holds us together. Mm-hmm. It only makes sense that the air we breathe is some form of divine agency. Mm-hmm. And what that meant to me was that not only was my yoga practice a form of prayer, but that life was prayer. Yeah. That prayer wasn't something we do from time to time. Prayer wasn't yeah. something we do when we go to church or go to temple or go to mosque. Yeah. That we are living embodiments of prayer. That God is making love to us 23,000 times a day on average. Yeah. yeah. Um, so when you ask me about my practice, Ken... When I step to my mat, be it to sit in meditation or to practice asana and postures, that moment to me is prayer. That is an intimate time in which I get to intentionally be with God, not just in mind, but in body as well. And it's a training ground that then helps me and cultivates within me the ability to also see my life as a form of prayer, which yeah. of course now brings so much more intention and power yes. 
for the choices I make every single day. Every day, yeah. It is, for me, what I realized it was for me, uh, Choi, it became the bridge by which I can walk into the realm of the spirit. It was uh, where I, I left the... The craziness, because I was in the corporate world, the craziness of what was surrounding me and when I would sit in my space and began to do those deep breathing and the meditation part, I realized that as I learned how to uh, breathe and control that, that at at some point I would walk into a different space and realize that I'm there and all becomes natural and um, that is where I would start my day. And I controlled, if you will, for lack of a better word, I was able to uh, make choices, as you said, as to the type of energy I would allow into my space as far as conversation being between people. And so when I stood yeah. and I would put on my suit after I've done and I've walked into the realm of the of the spirit realm of this, the the breath arena. I would walk into my corporate office and sit there, and everything, Troy, the words that people spoke, everything was slow. It it was slow to me. I could hear. I could understand clearly. I can perceive better. Everything in what they were doing may seem fast to them. But to me, it was very slow. And people used to ask me when they would ask me these questions, they would say to me, where did you get that answer from? How did you think of that right away? Because while they were speaking and I, all my senses were you know, alive, wisdom was alive. Mm-hmm. And I was able to, to respond in a conversation and you're absolutely right. It's where you live. Your life becomes a prayerful um, uh, expression um, that you have with uh, with God and all that is around you. When you are, I love being in that space. I tell people, for me, I just love. I love it, and I like staying in it, Troy, because for me, it's it's where I live, man. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's, it's and just... I, um, yeah, and I, I, you know, I resonate so much with what you're saying, Ken, as well, because I often tell people when I say this, I try not to sound like some mumbo jumbo woo woo yeah. uh-huh. space cadet, because yeah. yeah. I pride myself on being very tangible and real life, right? Yeah, but um. I honestly believe that breath is divine agency and, and it's one of the, the very key ways in which God communicates with each one yeah. of us. Mm-hmm. But for most people, the mind is so loud. Yes. The mind is so incessantly loud that yeah. we can't hear the, the intuition of God. We can't hear the voice yeah. of God. Yeah. And, um, you know, I always say to people, listen, Yoga and meditation, it won't change your life. Yeah. Plant medicine, all that crazy stuff, Tai Chi, you name it. All of these practices, none of it is going to change your life. But it will give you a relationship to your breath and your mind. Mm-hmm. And that will change your life. That will change your life. Yeah. yeah. It is. Yeah. That's where my madness 
began to um, my world, I gained a better understanding of my world, my life, my existence. All of it was in that space. In my meditation, I learned about who I was. Um, I learned about, um, I found myself, as I said earlier, um, where people would say things to me that would get me angry. I find myself responding differently uh, because, as I said, everything to them were moving fast. But to me, it was very slow and quiet. And um, I could hear... Sometimes I even know what they're thinking before they say something. And I would say it to them and I would tell them, this is the answer that you need. And they'd look at me and say, how did you know? I didn't ask you yet. And I said, you know, because of where your location was, Troy, where my location was, everything becomes a little more aware. So here you are, you're living this life on, on the outside and you're, are familiar with it. You're learning about the power that is you, Troy, and what is residing within others. How did you begin being in that space? Did you start to reach out to others to bring them in? Or did they seek you? Because I know um, we talked about it here. When you begin to release those energies, um, it's amazing how people find their way in your space. They come out from all over the place. They begin to search you out, and and it's really fascinating. So talk to me as to how did you begin to um, reach out to people as you began to uh, see the value of the yoga and what it did for you? Yeah. um, You know, it's... It's also what I want to mention as well is when I look at my life, Ken, there's a consistency. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a consistency. I am, um, especially in Trinidad, you know, it's an island, so, so you kind of like making news or newspapers or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you step outside the box and you get some <laughs> attention. Yeah. And since I've been really young, I have consistently, the underlying message has been the same. Consistently. Yeah. And that message is love. That yeah. message was constantly love, whether it be love for the environment or, or love for each other. It was constantly love. Mm-hmm. And um, I think to answer your question, you know, there, there's a quote that's said to be unknown, and I, it means so much to me. It's such a powerful reminder. I have it tattooed on my arm. <laughs> and um, it says that I have not come to teach. Yeah. I have come to love. Yeah. And love will teach. Yeah. And I, I think that when you commit your life to something, not just when it's convenient, but when you really commit to your life to something, it becomes who you are. Uh, yeah. And when that becomes who you are, like people can't help but take note of it. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, we are human. So it doesn't mean we don't make mistakes. It doesn't make yeah. we don't screw up. But I tell people all the time, the difference is that when you are consciously in a state of introspection, continuously trying to yes. be better and committed to living from a place of love, you're yeah. willing to see the areas in which you don't. Yes. You're looking for the areas in which you don't, in which you yeah. drop the ball, in which you are disconnected and you try to do better. 
And I think that once you are authentic and vulnerable and honest in that, so not only sharing your triumphs and look at me, this is how good I am. This is where I live from a place of love. But you're also willing to be honest and say, yeah, I messed up. This is how disconnected I was and this is what I've learned. Um, I think when you show up honestly, authentically, and commit to something, people who are looking for that will come. Mm-hmm. And if you authentically share with them and remove all the filters and all the boundaries, they will feel it. Yeah. And um, I think it is that commitment that... Um, and the people around me, of course, that encouraged and supported it and nurtured it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is what did it for me. Is um, I am just someone. I'm I'm committed. Can like, if loving kills me, I'll choose to love. Yeah, you know what I mean. And it is to show up from that place and understand that. You know, I always say that. I don't want to digress a little bit, but. The biggest lie we have ever been told, and it's almost not a lie, because if somebody tells you something that isn't true, but they believe it to be true, mm-hmm. it's not actually a lie. It's yeah. misinformation. Yeah. So the biggest misinformation narrative we've ever been told is that my name is Troy and this is who I am. This body mm-hmm. is who I am. Yeah. Because if we become obsessed with this identity and physical body, naturally, we're going to do everything we can to preserve it. Mm -hmm. And unconsciously, we become obsessed with self-preservation, and that inhibits our ability to love. Yeah. Yeah. But um, Absolutely. Yeah. So for me, Ken, it's just about that consistency. Like, if we really commit our lives to something and believe in it, Mm-hmm. It's important that we commit to it not only when people are looking, not only when it's flowers and rainbows, yeah. but even when it gets heavy and uncomfortable and inconvenient, we commit to it. Yeah. I think once we do that, it's going to happen. You know, it's going yeah. to happen. It, it comes naturally. That is when early in the conversation I was telling you about um, responding from a place of love because. What happened was, Troy, to be honest with you, was I got a glimpse into a part of me that it wasn't there. And so I realized that it wasn't there in a part of the area of me. And the words that I began to change, I began to, to release in my life, was that I would learn to respond from love first before all the other things start engaging and causing me to behave out of sync. And mm-hmm. it came from one of my meditations when I went in and I saw something and I realized I need to learn to apply this principle. And I always tell people, I would say, when someone would say something to me that I needed to work on, I would say to them, I will bring that into the forefront of my thoughts. And people would look at me and want to know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Because I needed that. They saw something, Troy, that I was not aware of. And because they brought something, when I was ignorant before, in a sense, when I was young, and I would cuss them out and yell at them, but I didn't understand. 
the importance of relationship. The importance of relationships is for people to bring what is called your scotoma, your blind side, bring it up to light and make me aware of them. And once they made me aware of it, I was like, wow, I didn't see that. Why? Because I'm, it's a familiar aspect of my behavior. They were able to see it. And then when they made me aware of it, I no longer cussed them out. So I tell them, I absolutely deeply appreciate what you have seen. And I thank you for the information because I know the purpose of it. What I understand yeah. is to make me better, man. I'm going to be even a better, a deeper person. And I want to learn more about me and to, to, to engage. And so I look at them now differently, Troy. The purpose of my friends and what they bring to me as an individual. And so when I, I said to you about that conversation that caused me to, to do that was, as you said earlier, I saw a dark place. And yeah. uh, when I saw that, I know the remedy of it is that love is the remedy of it. And so yeah. I want to remedy that area of what I saw and make mm-hmm. sure that I then walk in love, behave as one that is governed by love. My thoughts and my speech and all of it will be governed from that place. And I will bring healing to the, to me and the individual that, uh, where I saw that from. So that's the purpose of it all, man. This, this Troy has been for me has been an absolute beautiful conversation because I am getting to see some more things a little deeper, uh, even from the very onset of the conversation when you talked about those that are surrounding us and in us and are able to, we ought to, we are able to create from that space because it's just not you alone. It's all of the input of every situation that has ever come into our life that has made us who we are today. So I appreciate this conversation, man. I'm learning a tremendous amount. So talk to us um, a little, uh, Troy, about the book, because I know that's been sitting there and it's got, it's been in there for a while because it has, you have to give birth to this. It sits there and you said you had it for a couple of years. You were pregnant with this child. And um, talk to me as you began to sit down and began to write and produce this thing. What yeah. did it started to do to you, Troy, as you began to put this thing together and began to look in deeper? What did it begin to do to you? Yeah. Well, let me go back a little bit, just a little bit before that, you know, Ken, because you yeah. you say that this has been, I've been breathing this for a few years, which I have, <laughs> but 20 years ago, Mm-hmm. I was in my early 20s, and um, I was in the car with my girlfriend at the time. I remember it very clearly, and we used to go to movies all the time. And I put yeah. my hand in my jacket, and I pulled out some old popcorn, mm-hmm. <laughs> some old kernels of popcorn. And I put them yeah. in my mouth, and I remember saying the words. I said, popcorn in my pocket is going to be the name of my Facebook. Wow. In my early 20s. And when I went to university, I wanted to major in writing. 
and philosophy. Mm-hmm. Are you still there, Ken? Yeah, I'm still here. Yeah, your video just went away for a little bit. Yeah, so when I went to university, I wanted to major in philosophy and writing, and my dad said, uh-uh, you're going to do business. So I did business. <laughs> so 20-something years later, here I am writing a book called Popcorn in My Pocket. Um, that is in a lot of ways about the philosophy of what it means to live from a place of love and any human experience, right? So it, yeah. it's quite ironic, but I have to say that my journey is no mistake. Like yeah. my experiences over the last 20 years have now given me the the ability and the tools to produce yeah. this book that has all of me in it, all my blood, yeah. all my sweat, all of me is in this book, you know. And um, so it's called Popcorn in My Pocket. Um, I've been writing and rewriting for the last three years. I've been working with editors and... Um, award-winning authors so it is an amazing book um and people are always like well popcorn in my pocket like what does that mean <laughs> well well the subtitle of the book as as it stands now is insightful reflections for better you and a better world right yeah and um popcorn is an analogy for all these spiritual insights and revelations and epiphanies that we come to over the course of our lives. The pocket is an analogy for everyone has their own spiritual pocket. It's like a place Mm -hmm. of absolute knowing, right? Yeah. Um, And I think there's a, a, I won't call it a problem, but there's something happening in the world today where people are simply taking teachings, ideologies, insights, reposting, regurgitating this material and talking about it without actually embodying it. Without actually understanding it or asking question, how does this apply to my life? Yeah. Right? So, So in this book, I share the popcorn in my pocket with a lot of mm. life narratives and stories and realizations. But I invite the reader to see how it applies to their life and really understand and discover the popcorn in their pocket. Yeah. Because I don't want someone to just take what I'm saying and talk about it and regurgitate it. I want them yeah. to understand it. And it's a yeah. lot easier to say something doesn't apply than to actually take it and say, well, how does this apply? Yeah. Because yeah. all of these insights and reflections apply to everyone's life. But do mm-hmm. we have the courage to actually look and see, well, how does this apply to my life, you know? So that's popcorn in my pocket, um, Ken. It is looking for a literary agent, but you know, a literary world today it's been i've re- received a lot of very encouraging rejections because <laughs> they all people love a book and they love a concept and the manuscript blows them away and inspires them um but a lot of a lot of people are getting stuck on limited social media following mm-hmm. so it, you know that that of course has also driven me to say all right well let me go and try and get myself out there a little bit and actively try and do more podcasts and interviews and stuff like that, which is how we found each other. And I'm really grateful for that. I am too, man. And um, everyone that is listening to Troy and I, 
I implore you guys to go and purchase the book. The holidays are coming up. These are yeah. wonderful presents that you can give to people that um, you want to help them to get to the next level in their human development. As I say, we are human spirits just having this wonderful experience called life on wrapped up inside his body that makes us legal here on the earth. Go ahead. Ken, I might say though, the book is not published yet, right? So it's not not out yet. Not yet. We're we're talking, we're speaking ahead, man. I'm talking, I'm I'm speaking, I'm calling it out for you, man. So um, I want you guys to stay with, uh, follow him and his books are going to be coming out soon because I'm releasing the words and agreeing with my brother that uh, those literary folks that are out there, that grace will now penetrate your heart. You would get in touch with him and say, I'll take it. Let's do this, my brother. So uh, those that are listening, I know there's a couple of you guys that are listening. There's a couple of folks that I know have publishing companies and stuff like that. I need to start reaching out to a bunch of them and um, uh, get them to have a conversation with you, uh, uh, Troy. But um, Give me some time. I'm going to uh, grab their list and, and get that to you, and I'll contact them as well. Everyone that has been listening to this beautiful conversation with this man here, Troy, I want to thank you for coming to Threads of Enlightenment, man, because I love this stuff. For me personally, I have eaten, and I am full, and I thank you so much for coming. Yeah, it's an honor. Thank you for having me, Ken. It really has been beautiful, and um, I hope to be back. Anytime you want me back, I'm back. You just say word, I'm here. I'll get you back because I wanted to make we're we're gonna we're changing our format, and I want you to to be in the, a part of that format so that we can uh, make this thing beautiful. So thank you so much, sir. I, as a gift, I'm I'm gonna send you a um. PDF copy of that book, which is now complete, and you'll get your eyes on it early on. <laughs> I will read it, and I will yeah. make sure I meditate on it, man. Thank you so much. <laughs> Beautiful. All right, Ken, thank you, man. Love. Everyone who's listening to this podcast, we hope to continually help you to learn how to embrace moments of darkness, because it is in the darkness that we learn how to develop and use our abilities to truly see those parts of ourselves often invisible to us in the light. It becomes your responsibility to navigate through all of your trial to find out who you truly are and begin your journey to loving yourself, which is possibly one of the most difficult things you will ever do in your life. To love yourself and to find the real you, but always remember to enjoy the journey. Thank you for coming by. Please subscribe. And if you can support us financially, we deeply appreciate it. Until next time, invite your family, friends, neighbors, anyone that you can. You can hear us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Music, iHeartRadio, CastBox, Overcast, and many more.